All right, well, this morning we are uh, continuing on in our series, Becoming Disciples, Following Jesus Through Matthew. So this is where we've been uh, since Christmas, and this is where we're staying through Easter, kind of camping out in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Um, but more than like trying to glean knowledge or information or getting more and more familiar with these stories, like we have one goal through all of this. That's becoming disciples, like becoming apprentices of Jesus, becoming students of Jesus, that it wouldn't just be our, our heads that get puffed up, but that like the knowledge would move through our hearts and into our hands, and that we would embody this way of Jesus for um, the good of the world around us. Um, so that's where we've been, that's where we're headed, and uh, that's where we're headed this morning. So I uh, invite you to join me in a, a word of prayer. Loving God, uh, we are grateful for the chance to um, be together today. Uh, we're grateful for the gift of this community, and uh, we're grateful for the chance that we have now to uh, turn to the scriptures and wrestle with them together. So God, as we turn to the, the scriptures now, we uh, recognize that your spirit is here among us, and we ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the way of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, one, of my uh, one of the things that I love about the narrative lectionary is also one of the things that I hate about the narrative lectionary. And that is, it forces me to uh, jump into texts or stories or passages that I might otherwise avoid. Um, so we encountered this, not this past fall, but the one before with the story of Abraham and Isaac, one of my least favorite stories in all of scripture. Yeah. Uh, a father sacrificing his own son. And yet there it was, we had to jump into it. Right. Or this past fall, when we talked about David and Bathsheba, uh, which as it turns out is not so much a story of an affair, but perhaps one of Abuse, right? And so uh, we, you know, kicked the kids out for the Sunday and had a good adult conversation around that and how we can avoid some of the, the mistakes of David, right? Uh, and believe it or not, I think today's passage would also fall into that category of one that I might not choose to uh, engage with otherwise because of that whole ending there that, you know, out, cast them out into outer darkness, weeping, gnashing teeth, all of that fun stuff, right? But alas... Here we are. So uh, maybe a little bit of context before we jump into the passage could be helpful. Yeah. So uh, this passage comes during uh, the last week of Jesus's life, which we often refer to as Holy Week. Um, but we're, the, the passages that we'll be looking at for the next few weeks occur over the span of just the last week of Jesus's life. And as Jesus comes down from uh, the, the Mount of Transfiguration, which we looked at a few weeks ago, like Jesus sets his eyes on Jerusalem. And from that point on, Jesus has like this laser focus of like getting to Jerusalem and doing what it is that he has to do in this last week of his life. And so uh, during this last week, like we have some of like, I don't know, like some of the more disturbing teachings of Jesus, some of the harsher teachings of Jesus, some of the ones that like make you feel a little uncomfortable, right? And what makes it even more uncomfortable, maybe just for me as a <clears throat> religious leader, is that most of these are directed at the religious leaders, right? Like, he has some really harsh words for the religious leaders about the ways that they're, like, leading the people of God. 
And so Jesus turns his sights to Jerusalem, which is the center of Jewish life and faith and culture. But more than just moving towards Jerusalem, like he goes even further into the center of the center of the center to the very temple, which would have been like the center of the center of the center of Jewish life, faith, and culture. The place where God resided on earth as God does in heaven. And so much of Jesus' interactions over the last week of his life take place within the temple, directed at the religious leaders. And so today's text is uh, the third of three in a row of where he is just like letting the religious leaders have it. And by the time you get done with this passage, you're like, man, can you give them a little bit of a break, Jesus? Come on. So this is the third of three directed at the religious leaders. So just helpful to keep that in mind here. And so he says, once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers, and burned their city. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And at this point, we're good, right? I mean, there's some strange details in there, but like, for the most part, like, we're good here. Like, this is warm, fuzzy Jesus. This is Jesus that I want to grab a cup of coffee with. This is the inclusive, all-are-welcome sort of Jesus. This is the Jesus of the early 2000s t-shirt that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Like, we're good with this Jesus, yeah? But then it takes a strange turn, and we read, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man who was not wearing a wedding robe and said to him, Friend! How did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And we think, boy, that escalated quickly, didn't it? Uh, Like, that really got out of hand, yeah? Like, what's going on here, yeah? Well, it might be helpful to to peel back some of the layers and get into a bit of the imagery here to to make sense of it. Um, So the main imagery that's happening throughout this this story is we're told that a king throws his son a wedding banquet. So the king here is God, and the the son of the king is the son of God, Jesus, right? And so uh, this seems to be a parable, uh, a story, something pointing to a reality of, of God throwing God's son, Jesus, a wedding banquet. So most of this parable revolves around this idea of a wedding banquet. And we get a little technical here, yeah? Uh, Because when we talk about a wedding banquet in scripture, um, we could also refer to it as a messianic banquet. And what a wedding banquet or what the messianic banquet throughout scripture is pointing to is this like big, full, grand, robust term that is life in the age to come. When we talk about this idea of life in the age to come, like, this is what we're hoping for as Christians. As followers of Jesus, life in the age to come is what we're hoping for. Not that, like, when we die, we go off to heaven someday, but that, like, this life in the age to come would come on earth as it is in heaven. 
And when we talk about the life in the age to come, like what we're talking about here is that God deals with evil and injustice once and for all. That it's judged, that it's, it's, it's put away, that like it doesn't uh, unleash its wrath upon us anymore. But that in its place then, like God's peace and God's justice is set up and established and gets to run the show in our lives. And this is when we, um, we hope and we long for the redemption of all things, the renewal of all things, the reconciliation of all things. Like this is where all of this is headed. If there's some sort of arc, some sort of trajectory in our life, like we as followers of Jesus believe that it's heading towards this life in the age to come. Um, uh, and the way that the New Testament then talks about the life in the age to come coming to its fullness on earth as it is in heaven is talking about uh, Jesus as like a groom marrying the church, the church as his bride. And so the way that this life in this age to come, where all of this is headed, gets depicted often is through like this lavish sort of wedding banquet. I've been to some swanky weddings, and like if that's eternity, I'm okay with that, right? Like there's abundant food, abundant drink, all sorts of dancing, celebration. Like this is where things are headed. And like that feels really, really good to me, right? And so this is sort of like the, the main image of this, this text, that like this is pointing towards life in the age to come when like uh, the, the fullness of the life of God comes on earth as it is in heaven. But there's a few moving pieces in this now, right? So the king sends out his uh, slaves to go and invite the, the invited guests. So the servants here uh, um, are like the prophets, right? Those who come with a message from God, of God, for the people of God. And so the, these, these, these servants, these prophets go out and they begin to speak to the in crowd, the religious leaders in this particular case. Those who had already had a save the date to the wedding, right? Had it on their fridge, but chose to ignore it the day of. And so the, the slaves say that like they've, they've ignored their call. So they come back to the king, and the king's like, well, go back out. And so they go back out. This story gets strange and disturbing. There's all sorts of reasons for that that we don't have time for today. But then they come back to the king, and the king's like, finally, I'm, I'm fed up with it. Go out in the streets, invite anybody, everybody that you find. And Matthew's text makes a point to tell us even the good and the bad <laughs> Like, again, like, we feel good about this. This is the moment where exclusion turns into inclusion. Like, everybody, anybody, all people are welcomed into the wedding banquet. Everybody's invited into the party. But then it takes this strange turn, right? <laughs> like, what do we do with this guy at the end? The, the poor guy at the end who um, uh, the king approaches and says, where's your wedding robe? And he's like, ah, 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 ah. He goes, cast him out, binding and weeping and gnashing of teeth, Right? What gives? I think that's a very fair question with this text, right? It seems that um, much of this has to do with the man's wedding robe, which um, I don't think actually has to do with anything like his literal clothing at all, but rather I think it has to do with like how he's showing up to the party. Uh, see, I don't think that this parable uh, gives a whole lot of attention to the question of who can show up to the party. I think it makes it pretty abundantly clear, right? Like anybody, everybody, all people are welcome. The good, the bad, anybody can show up to the party. But traditionally, like we as followers of Jesus have given an awful lot of attention to this question, right? Again, as a religious leader, uh, most of my conversations with other religious leaders revolve around this question. Who's in? Who's out? Who can be saved? Who can't be saved? Like who are, who's worthy? Who's unworthy, right? And yet... 
I don't think the crux of this parable is around this question at all. But rather, I think Jesus is directing us not to ask this question, but rather the question of how are we showing up to the party? And the how in this uh, story seems, again, not to be like the man's literal physical clothing, but I think the how has everything to do with like, the sort of posture that this man shows up to the party in. Like, What's his mindset? What's his perspective? What sort of energy is he carrying? Because I think the story makes it clear that anyone, anyone, all people are welcome and invited to the party. And yet this man shows up to the party and yet apparently like, he isn't like, fully giving himself up to the party. He's not allowing his life to get caught up in the party. Everybody else is dancing, enjoying themselves, and perhaps he's standing off to the side, not quite ready to jump in to the full life of the party. And the fact that like, he's not willing to give himself fully to the party seems to make all of the difference. See, when it comes to this parable, we might say that like, the, barrier, the barriers have changed. We might even say like, the barriers have even been eliminated. But the expectations haven't. Like, those who were once invited uh, turned it down. And so the king sends out his servants and says, invite anyone, everyone, all people are welcomed in. Like, the barriers have changed. The barriers have even been eliminated. And yet, for those that show up, there's still this expectation that they uh, live into a particular way of being. Like, these expectations of what it means to be at the party, to give yourself to the party, remain the same. Uh, This uh, parable makes me think a lot of the why downtown, believe it or not. Um, So I I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Like we we're pretty consistent uh, regulars at the Y, mostly because of Child Watch, yeah. Um, But so we've been going for uh, a while now, and I'm always struck when I walk into that place of like how incredibly accessible it is. Like accessible in a wide variety of ways. So like when you walk in, like it's totally level. There's no steps or anything. Uh, There's even an automated door. So like if you need a hands-free entry, like that's available to you. And you walk in and right there is an elevator, which takes you upstairs all of the exercise equipment. So like it's physically accessible. Like if um, those sorts of things stand as a barrier, like they've eliminated that, right? But then when you walk in, you turn to your right, and there's Child Watch, which again, like, I love and take full advantage of. Because if kids are a barrier from you accessing the life of the Y, they've eliminated that now, right? There's opportunities for you to drop your kid off and go and do your thing. But perhaps the biggest one is you walk in and you have to check in, which means you have to have a membership, which means you have to pay, right? But as you start asking questions, like there's scholarships available, and at least when we signed up, they had said like they were committed to this idea that financial reasons wouldn't prevent anybody from accessing the life of the Y. Well, there you go. Just about every barrier has been eliminated now, right? So you get up there, and it's this beautiful space. There's young people. There's older people. There's people that are the physical specimens of physical fitness and able-bodiedness, all the way to people who aren't quite as able-bodied. There's people who obviously have lots of resources, and there's people who don't have quite as many resources. And it's this beautiful space where everybody can kind of coexist. And then you start looking around, and you see all sorts of signs with rules on them. You see rules about uh, please don't drop your weights. You see rules about please re-rack your weights. You see rules about wipe down your equipment before and after. You see rules about proper shoes. And my new favorite one, you see rules about wearing headphones because not everybody wants to listen to your music or your talk radio while they're getting their workout on, right? And so it's this beautiful, accessible space. Everybody, anybody, all people are welcome and invited to participate in the life of the Y. 
And yet there's clear, consistent expectations of what it means to participate in the life of the why. And I think that um, that's what this parable is getting at in some way. Again, it's directed at the religious leaders. The religious leaders were those that put up these barriers between people accessing the life of God. And so I don't think it's any sort of coincidence that one of the first things that Jesus does as he enters into Jerusalem the last time is flips the table of the money changers, which stood as like a very concrete barrier from people accessing the life of God. He flipped it on its head, and then he begins to tell these stories about how the barriers have changed. And yet it seems that the expectations of what it means to show up at the party haven't changed. The expectations remain the same. That we would become disciples of Jesus. That we would become apprentices of Jesus. That we would become students of Jesus. That our way of life would get swallowed up and absorbed into his way of life. That we would become more and more like Jesus as time goes on. The author of Colossians puts it like this in chapter 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever... Uh, in you is earthly. Or take off the old clothing, if you will. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways that you once also followed. These were the old clothes that you used to wear when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things. You must take off these clothes. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've stripped off, taken off the old self, the old clothes with its practices, and, how, and have now clothed yourself with the new self or the new clothing, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free. All of these barriers that we want to put up but Christ is all and in all. And so as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves, put on the wedding robe of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen and amen. Yeah? Like the image here is like you've been invited to the party. You get to show up to the party, but you can't show up in the party wearing the old clothes of anger and greed and um, uh, uh, violence and anger and all the ways that we want to turn people into commodities. But if you're going to show up to the party, leave that behind. Put on the new clothes of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and love and patience and uh, thankfulness and peace. And so what this means for us then is like each and every one of us have been invited to the party. Like if you are hearing this, you have been invited to the party. All of us, all people, good and bad, have been invited to the party. And the ways that we have often set up barriers have been taken down. They've been changed. They've been eliminated. 
The ways that we have often divided one another, set up barriers, these things no longer stand in the way of who's invited to the party. Meaning, like, whatever you've done in your past or haven't done, like, you're still invited to the party. Meaning, regardless of what your gender is, like, you're still invited to the party. Meaning, regardless of what your sexuality is, like, you're still invited to the party. Meaning, regardless of what your race is, you're still invited to the party. Meaning, regardless of your socioeconomic status, you're still invited to the party. Regardless of your educational level, like, you're still invited to the party. Anybody, everybody, all people, good and bad, have been invited to the party. But the way that we accept this invitation is through participation. Like, we show up to the party, but we can't keep wearing the old clothes of anger and wrath and malice and abusive language and the ways that we want to commoditize people. But instead, we set those off to the side and we put on the new garments, the new clothes of compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and gratitude and um, love and peace and all of these beautiful things. And that allows us to actually like join into the party because if we're going to be at the party, let's be at the party. <laughs> uh, this passage has been really hard for me this past week because I realized like I've been really cynical as of late. Um, and we can talk later, but I feel like I have a lot of reasons to be cynical uh, right now. Um, and yet, uh, like, I, I find that, like, I, I'm in these settings where people are, like, at the party. They're dancing. They're having a good time. I'm like, but have you read the news? And I don't want to be that guy, right? Now, certainly, like, if we're at the party, I think our hearts and our lives will be changed, and we'll deal with the stuff in the news, right? But, like, I don't want to be that guy who everybody's dancing, and I'm sitting off to the side, and I'm like, hmm, well, life's hard, um, that sort of thing. And I think light, uh, Lent is a really good time for us to like become aware of these sorts of things. Uh, I think Lent's a really good time to like maybe even confess some of these things to God and to one another. And when we talk about confession, it's not so much like uh, beating ourselves up, but I think it is a course correction, saying like I've been really cynical, and I'm inviting God's Spirit to like help me not be so cynical and bitter and angry. But this is tough because sometimes these old clothes are the ones that fit the best, right? They're pretty comfortable. Uh, new clothes take a little bit of time to break in, yeah? Uh, particularly like when I buy new jeans, uh, I have been told they're a little too tight for me to wear out in public. And so uh, I wear them around the house and do some squats, you know, get them stretched out before I wear them out in public. And so when it comes to these new clothes that we've been invited to wear as we show up to the party, I think Lent's a really good time for us to try these on at home, right? We can practice what it looks like to be compassionate. We can practice what it means to be humble, what it means to be meek, what it means to be patient, what it means to be loving, what it means to be peaceful, what it means to be grateful, what it means to forgive one another. And by the time we get to Easter, the celebration of the resurrection, maybe these clothes are a bit more broken in and we can feel a little bit more comfortable wearing these out in public, yeah? So friends, um, we've all been invited to the party. The barriers have changed. They've even been eliminated. Um, but the expectations haven't. And so when we show up to this party, let's leave these old clothes behind. Of anger, bitterness, cynicism, the ways we want to commoditize people, our violence, our anger. And let's put on the new clothes of compassion, humility, meekness, kindness, patience, love, peace, forgiveness, gratitude, all of these sorts of things so that we can become more and more like Jesus. Amen.